This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Bill Goldberg, author of American Data. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at uh, spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Perusha Hickson, who is the founder and director of Stretch for Success Seminars. He has been teaching Hatha Yoga for over 40 years, uh, and his teacher, Alice Coltrane, uh, much more about that during the interview. And I want to say that uh, this is our second go-round on this interview. We, we actually interviewed uh, Purusha a few weeks ago, and uh, it was downloaded if you uh, uh, follow us on your podcast app. On, uh, and uh, we had to redo it because there were some down- sound difficulties. So if you find there's two copies of this, this is the uh, one with the good sound quality and the one to listen to. Uh, so, Purusha, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on our show today. It's my pleasure. Purusha, um, let's pretend we've never done this before. <laughs> and um, we want to talk about your own work as a Hatha Yoga teacher. Uh, but one of the reasons I was so anxious to have you on is that um, when I was researching American Veda, I had an appointment to um, interview your teacher, Alice Coltrane, a.k.a. Swamini Turiya Sangeetananda. Um, and uh, she passed away before I could do that. And um, I always want to know more about her and her work, and I think it'll be fascinating for our listeners. So let's begin with that. How did you come to meet her? Tell us uh, a little bit about her. I was on my own spiritual quest. Um, I was 19 years old in San Francisco. I, had, uh, with a friend, rode the Greyhound bus and hitchhiked out to San Francisco. And uh, I was beginning my own spiritual quest when I came across um, a place called the One Mind Temple. And they played the music of John Coltrane and gave uh, free hot vegetarian meals. And it's Good free meals are always appealing. Right, as a 19-year-old who traveled across the country and had $50 in his pocket, free hot vegetarian meal was wonderful. Yeah. But I got drawn into the music and... Um, and that was my first introdu- introduction to John Coltrane and um, Alice Coltrane. Later, while I was volunteering there, um, someone put on one of her albums, and it just moved me to the core of my being. I just stopped everything I did, sat on the floor, looked at the jacket, the album jacket, and listened deeply to the music. Um, the name of the album was Universal Consciousness. And mm-hmm. the particular track was Hare Krishna. And I had never heard anything like that. And it quickened my spirit. And mm-hmm. um, that was my first introduction. And then shortly after that, um, in a synchronistic way, I heard she was performing in Los Angeles at Swami Sachidananda's 60th birthday celebration. And the people at the One Mind Temple had connections with her and Um, told her that I wanted to come down and meet her, that I had been deeply affected by the music. So I went and met her, and it was an an amazing encounter. She was down to earth, she was kind, she was generous, um, but there was something otherworldly about her, even then, that that my heart detected, that my spirit detected. And... uh, 
exactly one year from that date, Swamini had the first initiation at what had formerly been the One Mind Temple and now became um, the first location of the Vedantic Center. Uh, Purusha, at, at that initiation, uh, what took place? It was a mantra initiation. We received mm-hmm. a mantra. Um, we had fasted beforehand. Um, we received spiritual names. And Swamini explained to us that this was the first of several steps and a really important step. And uh, I didn't fully understand it. I was really young. But I just trusted her completely. And uh, over the next 40 years, I never saw anything that um, changed that trust in my um, heart's determination that this was a saintly human being. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Persia, uh, for uh, people who don't uh, recognize the name, um, Alice Coltrane, uh, who became Swamini, um, was the wife of John Coltrane, and they were great and famous jazz musicians back in the uh, early and mid-60s, um, and then became uh, deeply spiritual. And I, I wrote about them in, in American Veda, partly because they became very close with uh, Ravi Shankar and named their, their uh, son Ravi. Um, tell us a little bit more about her path, because after John died, she, she was a devotee of uh, birth, uh, Swami Satchitananda, as I recall, and uh, Satchisai Baba. Tell us a little bit more. Well, Swamini, and she writes about this in her book, Monument Eternal, which is about her spiritual reawakening. But she said she experienced a deep transcendental longing to know God. And um, and that began a process of reawakening that was quite intense. She went through what's called tapasya, um, which is a purific, purifying and uh, intense austerities. So she experienced those. And um, from there, she was guided to begin the Vedantic Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Purusha, in your spiritual journey, you mentioned that uh, what initially uh, gave you a deep internal experience was hearing the Hare Krishna mantra uh, sung, and, uh, and then you went from there. And uh, in the, the 30, 40 years that you've been involved in your spiritual quest, um, have there been ups and downs? Are there periods when you feel your internal experience is very powerful, and it's very easy for you to stick with it. And were there times that were uh, where the inner development wasn't as uh, profound, wasn't as enjoyable, and you it, you had to rely on your self-discipline to keep moving forward? Has it been uh, peaks and valleys like that, or has it been a straight line up? That's interesting. Um, I think you could say it's. You could say it's either. It's been peaks and valleys in terms of the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there have stretches where, you know, everything is going smoothly. You feel like you're making progress. Your um, spirit is up. And there have certainly been times when it's been really challenging, and you know, and um, 
and it doesn't feel so clear. And um, you're coming face to face with yourself or an aspect of yourself or aspects of one's own ego. And um, that's a challenging encounter. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But I could also say it's been a um, steady incline up. Um, Because one of the things I think that Twomini did for me and uh, many of her students was help us to see the the power of regular sadhana. Because just like in anything in life, you're going to have times where everything is smooth, times when it's difficult. But the sadhana gives you a grounding, the regular um, spiritual practice, whatever the practice is. And it's the same in hatha yoga. You know, if, if you're going to your mat in hatha yoga every day, you're going to have days when your body is just opening and blossoming and the practice is delightful. You'll have other days when your body feels stiff or sore. But by that regularly showing up, there's a continuum. Mm-hmm. And so I think the blessing of sadhana, um, that despite no matter how crazy I may get, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a, a grounding that um, brings me back. <clears throat> so I like to tell people when they ask me, say, well, Bruce, have you, you experienced any enlightenment? I said, no, but um, I'm not as crazy as I used to be. <laughs> and when I do go crazy... I know how to come back. Mm, very good. Um, Parisha, you lived, as I recall, in the ashram that Swamini uh, established um, somewhere near Malibu in the hills outside of L.A. Uh, how long did you live there, and what was the daily life like there? Was it very disciplined? Were, you, were people... Um, going in and out to jobs and so forth? What was it like? Yeah, um, I think I might have lived there for around 20 years. Wow. And um, I think there were different phases there as well. When we moved in, the land, so to speak, was untamed, and um, it was very wild. So just there was a lot of physical work of just, you know, cutting grass and um, trimming trees and, building a bridge across the stream and, and many things like that. And so there's a lot of physical work, and that was wonderful. You know, in Southern California, the weather's beautiful. You're in the mountains. We were actually in Agora, California, and it's one of the last clean air pockets in Southern mm. California. So just working on the land was exhilarating. And, um, you know, doing the best that we could with our regular sadhana. So there was a phase of that. There was a phase where... Um, we were more focused on everybody going outside and working jobs to pay what we called the commitment, which was to help pay for the land. And um, so there was that phase and in, in trying to start up businesses and things, and, and that was challenging. Um, but overall, it was wonderful. And like I said before, of course, when you're on the path, Swamini always used to say, the spiritual path is not for the weak. You've got to have courage to come up against yourself. You know, you got to have courage to look at your own stuff, to start to examine your own fears and weaknesses, um, reactions. But if you want to be about that, the ashram's a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You got lots of support spiritually, and you'll get lots of challenges because people would come and go. You know, we used to say whenever there was harmony, we knew somebody would be coming soon to create some chaos. <laughs> right. Well, let, Very let me, good. Yeah, Purusha, let me ask you about that. Uh, you like not many people have had the experience of being a brahmachari and living in an ashram. It's a very structured existence. You did it, I think you said, for 20 years. Uh, now you're out in the world, still very committed to your spiritual practice. But do you ever have the thought, gosh, I really miss those days. I'd love to go back to the ashram. Uh, and, and might that be something in your future? That's really interesting. Um, I don't think of it that way right now. I love that time. Mm -hmm. I really like what I'm doing now. I like the situation. Um, but there is a little bit of nostalgia for spiritual community at its best. Mm -hmm. You know, that connecting with, with others who are like-minded. Right. And um, so there is a certain joy in that. And that is a very special, special thing. But, you know, I'm really happy with what I'm doing, and um, I wouldn't change it. You know, maybe in the future, as you were alluding to, um, there'll be some, some new balance of both of those. Mm -hmm. I have a related question, Purusha. Um, when you left the ashram, was Swamini still alive, and was it a big adjustment to be out out, mm -hmm. living outside the ashram, and uh, how did you uh, react to her passing? Uh, yes, she was alive. It was a, a big change. I had been a brahmacharya for about seven years, and I stepped out of that. Um, but it was also exciting, you know, um, sort of like, again, when being a teenager and leaving home, you know. You've been, and we really don't, or at least in my life, I didn't realize how much my parents gave me until I stepped out on my own and had to access that, mm. had to draw on that. And I think it was the same. And, um, you know, there was no uh, um, disapproval by Swamini, none at all, you know. Um, so that made that transition smooth. And I think it helped me to start to see how much Swamini had given you know, and, and the blessing of being around her. One of the things that I came up across was um, certain progress that I made. I thought I had made it all on my own. But after being away from Swami for an extended time, I could see part of the progress in certain things I had made was the blessing of being around a saint. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. we still have to all find it inside of ourselves. Right. And Swamini, like all good teachers, would always say, God is within you. Mm -hmm. You Apru don't have to ashram. You don't. Yes. Uh, your teacher, Swamini, uh, she has passed, left this planet. Uh, did she talk about, and, uh, about what happens after one, uh, as they say, drops the body as, as one passes on, uh, what takes place? Was that uh, incorporated into her teaching? Swami did talk about that, and um, she would often say it's like stepping from one room into the other. But we were really fortunate because Swamini gave us, and I'm not sure if all her students, certainly the early students, I believe all had this experience. Um, you know, as more people came, I'm not sure how many other people had it, but... Um, 
Swamini gave her students a private uh, meditation where the student got a chance to go with Swamini into the astral realm and have an experience of a subtler dimension. And for me, that was life-changing and still is because when I sit, there's this remembrance of this, the only word I can use for it is subtle, subtler existence, this mind realm. And um, I think that's really encouraging because it also gave me the sense that there is something beyond the physical body and the material existence. Perugia, could you elaborate on that experience? What Was it a sensual experience? Was it, is it something you can actually describe? Well, you know, some of that is, is personal, mm-hmm. and, and Swamini would encourage us to keep some of it. But what I would share with you, some of the things, is that on the first one, I had uh, the blessing of that experience a couple times with Swamini. First time, as a new student, I remember uh, I laid down. She just had us lay down, or actually it was just me, even though several students experienced it, we experienced it individually with her. Had me lay on the back, and she started to just guide me quietly into this meditative state and where I could see her in subtler, in a subtler form. Mm-hmm. And um, that had nothing to do with me. Um, that had to do with her. And so got to explore this subtler realm to some degree, some small degree. Uh, Perusha, let's segue to your own work. At a certain point in your path, you obviously uh, got into Hatha Yoga, um, and uh, in your bio it says that you um, have uh, studied uh, the Shivananda uh, system, Shivananda Yoga Vedanta, I guess, and and the Iyengar system and Ashtanga system. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell us about uh, what (laughs) attracted you to Hatha Yoga and um, how you combine those forms. Right. Um, I came to Hatha Yoga through Swamini. She told me early after the initiation that I would be the community's, or one of the community's, Hatha Yoga instructors. And I was very excited about it. I said, great, Swamini, but what's Hatha Yoga? (laughs) I had no idea what it was, and she explained that um, it was a system of purification, physical and mental, that would prepare the body to receive higher states of enlightenment. And she would give this example. She'd say, like, if you have a 100-watt bulb and you run 10,000 watts of current through that bulb, what's going to happen to the bulb? bulb will shatter. Mm-hmm. And she said, so what the, one of the things, one of the many things that Hatha Yoga does is it tunes the body, it tunes the different centers so that the body can withstand the flow of energy more moving through, along with, of course, aligning the bones and strengthening muscles and tuning the nervous system. Um, Hatha Yoga is like a preparation for deeper seated meditation. So I had been into sports and into basketball, and Swamini also said that it would help me to take that physical energy and make it more subtle. Mm -hmm. So I took right to it, and I loved it. And um, and so the first teaching she gave me, Swami Satchitananda's 
Hatha Yoga, she gave me this book and the tape, and I practiced that every day for a year without missing a day. And then I began to branch out and investigate other forms of Hatha Yoga. And um, Swami would always encourage me and um, give a little bit of guidance, do this, don't do that, go this way, that way. But basically, he gave me a lot of freedom to explore a lot of different <coughs> traditions. Uh, Purusha, uh you practice Hatha Yoga as Swamini uh, explained to uh, prepare yourself for higher states of consciousness, deeper uh, experiences. When you go out in the world now and you teach Hatha Yoga to people, um, I would imagine some people come for that reason. Other people might come because they have a bad back or uh, they uh, you know, just want to get in better physical condition. Do you demand from your students at the beginning that they only do this if they're on a, going to use it for a, a deep spiritual growth, or do you just say, come, enjoy it on whatever level that you can enjoy it on, but uh, understand uh, there's more to this than just physical exercise? Yeah, um, definitely the second one. You know, um, people come, like you said, for all reasons. Some people are stressed out. Some people have injuries. Some people are training for other, um, you know, physical activities. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter whatever reason they come, but if they pick my class, what they'll tend to get is a gentle class. One of the things we you know, always tell folks that it's not a workout, it's a love in, mm -hmm. and that you love your body to opening and stretching. And there is this natural connection between body, mind, and spirit. As BKS Iyengar used to say, where does the body end and the mind begin? Where does the mind end and the soul begin? Mm -hmm. They're interwoven into each other. So as you do this practice mindfully and not in an aggressive way and mindful of the breath, you naturally connect with subtler energies. And it doesn't matter to me if you call it energy, if you call it spirit, whatever you call it, what's important is you start to have the experience of it, and it benefits us on all levels, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, Purusha, uh, you also train Hatha Yoga teachers. Um, did you develop your own system of training? Uh, are you uh, affiliated with one of the lineages in, in the training? And um, uh, are you somebody who everybody would be happy to train with, or are you tough? <laughs> In other words, could Phil and I take your class? <laughs> We're not tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's really different. You know, and uh, I'd love to have you guys, if you're ever out this area, drop in as my guest. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, where I teach now, I teach different levels. Um, I teach a, what I call a beginner's class and a little bit slightly more advanced. But, you know, the whole thing of Hatha Yoga is gently finding your edge, not working too hard and not working too easy, but finding that unique place, which, of course, is different for everyone. So it's not about doing the posture. The posture accesses um, things inside of us, the flow of energy inside of us. So I think anyone can come at any level. And I, I have people who are, like, real stiff, real old, um, 
can become and have people who are like real athletes, dancers and gymnasts, you know, um, because it's a personal journey. Uh, Bruce, do you also teach a, any type of meditation? Um, I th think of it more as um, meditation preparation. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's concentration, contemplation, and meditation. And um, most people who even say they're meditating, they're actually practicing concentration, just trying to get the mind to settle on one point. That's a whole practice in and of itself. And um, according to the Yoga Sutras, it doesn't become meditation until you have unbroken one-pointed attention on one point for at least 16 seconds, which sounds easy, but it is not. And then if you double that from 16 seconds to 32 seconds, then you start to move to the first stages of samadhi, of having higher experiences. So um, simple concentration is pretty much what we do. We do sit, um, we sit in the silence, and we use the breath as a... Um, anchor for our attention, um, but it's really more concentration at that level um, than, than meditation, per mm -hmm. se, so I don't consider myself a meditation teacher. Uh, Persia, um, one of the um, critiques of uh, modern yoga as it's become trendier and trendier and more and more uh, popular out and fashionable is that it, it is primarily a... Uh, um, a white, affluent, uh, a sort of middle and upper middle class phenomenon, and that large uh, segments of the population don't have easy access to uh, to yoga and its benefits. You're part of uh, an effort to uh, bring yoga into the African American community. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. Um, in 1995, I went to India, and I was in India for a year. Um, I was in Mysore doing Ashtanga yoga. I went up into the Himalayas and did Vipassana meditation. And I also visited the ashram of Sri Satya Sai Baba and spent a lot of time there. And he said two things that just moved me very deeply. He said, hands that help are holier than lips that pray. <laughs> the other thing is, it's good that you come here and you get spiritually charged, but go back to your own community, look around at what needs to be done, and begin doing it. So, you know, that was real clear for me. And Swamini also had said uh, several things like that. When I returned, um, I was fortunate to participate with some other individuals in the forming and growing of the International Association of Black Yoga Teachers. And in 2000, we had a festival of yoga and music in Havana, Cuba, which was amazing. Um, and basically, we're working to spread the practice of yoga in the African-American community. And um, this year, that organization um, had a rebirth and became the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. Mm. and had an amazing mm -hmm. conference in uh, Akrapalu, which is near Boston, in the Boston area. And um, basically setting out some real clear intentions of how to bring yoga more into the schools and uh, in the community and to spread and support 
the growth of uh, yoga in the black community in particular and all communities because, again, yeah. we're all interconnected. Appreciate it. That's Very. fantastic. I think what you said to it, uh, uh, helping hands that help are more important or more profound than lips that pray. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard anything more profound than that. I, I really appreciate that. It, it it's definitely uh, makes me think and, and, and uh, expresses, I guess, what, what uh, I've thought for a long time. Uh, we've also had on our show uh, people like uh, Bobby Roth from the David Lynch Foundation and uh, Russell Simmons, and also doing similar work of bringing uh, meditation and yoga into uh, uh, especially schools in, in uh, urban inner city areas uh, so that uh, all people can uh, find out about uh, the benefits of uh, these teachings and what they can do. So uh, I, my hope is that you all can coordinate your efforts and really have an enormous impact on, on what's going on in our, in, in our world and our culture. It's really, really, really necessary. And um, yes, yes, it's, it's the call of our time. Mm -hmm. um, we're all interconnected, but we all need to start with ourselves first and then our immediate family, our immediate communities, and then we'll start to see places where we can intersect and support each other in doing this work. So, mm -hmm. yes. Um, Persia, one uh, perhaps final question. I want to get back to uh, Swamini. And um, one thing I, I forgot to ask you about earlier is the use of music in uh, her teaching. I mean, she was a great musician. We associated her with mainly with the harp. And um, once she became a guru... Uh, she didn't stop playing music, and some of her spiritual uh, CDs are quite uh, remarkable. Maybe you could say uh, a little bit about her use of music and how people can hear some of it. Yes, um, Swamini talked about the profound nature of sound. She said, sound creates form. And in terms of her spiritual teachings, she talked about the power of mantras and chanting. And bhajan chanting was one of um, primary practices, chanting the divine names and those holy vibrations to affect a change in our being. Um, she continued to play um, spiritual avant-garde music. She never called it, used the word jazz. Mm. She called it spiritual avant-garde music, instrumental music. And... Um, so she continued to play that, and, and mostly in support of uh, her sons. Um, Narayan is his initiated name, but his, the name most people know him by, Ravi Coltrane. Mm -hmm. You know, he has a uh, thriving and wonderful career as a musician. Pretty good genes. <laughs> <laughs> and her other son, Oran, is a wonderful musician in his own right. And her, and, uh, her daughter, Michelle is a professional singer, and she's mm. wonderful in her own right. So she was very supportive of her children in that way. But what Swamini said to me was she likes all kinds of music as long as the intention is that it has a devotional um, quality to it or its intent is to be dedicated towards God. So that's any form, rock, avant-garde, um, gospel, mm -hmm. 
but it's the intent of the individual that makes it um, meaningful for her. Great, great. Wonderful, Ed. Perusha, thank you so very much <clears throat> for taking the time to come on our show today, our podcast, Spirit Matters, uh, that's spiritmatterstalk.com. And thank you also for the wonderful work you're doing in your community in uh, helping and uplifting people because I think Phil and I are of a like mind that, uh, you know, if you really want to help somebody, you have to help them on the most fundamental level, and that is their spiritual life, their spiritual uh, essence. And uh, by doing that, all other areas of life will flourish. And obviously, that's, that's your message. That's what you do. And we really want to thank you for that. Well, I very much appreciate you guys inviting me to be on your show. And I appreciate the work that you're doing as well. So thank you so much. Okay. And uh, we'll have on the website when it's, your interview is posted uh, how people can get in touch with you and uh, find out more about your work. Uh, as we enter 2017, we wish you a great new year, and I hope our paths cross in person soon. Thank you. So uh, there is one thing I'd like to add, if I may. Sure. Yeah. Um, people can get in touch and find out more about Swamini's music at alicecoltrain.org. Great. Great. AliceColtrain.org, and we'll post Alice, all that up. All the AliceColtrain.org. Oh, okay. Got to go? No, no, we don't. Go ahead. Finish up. Okay. The other one was uh, SciQuest, and that's about the ashram. How do you spell and, that? Uh, S-A-I-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. SciQuest dot com. Good. Thank you for that. All right. So All right. Have a beautiful, beautiful uh, holy days and uh, look forward to sometime maybe meeting you guys in person. Absolutely. Okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Again.